Welcome to the Q-Law Pod and our special series, What's Next with Afshin Chowdhury. Each episode, Afshin, a second-year law student, chats with Queen's Law grads about their experiences, their education, and their career path after law school to explore the idea that there is no one way to be a lawyer. For other episodes of the Q-Law podcast, visit soundcloud.com backslash queens-law or your favorite podcast provider. Welcome to the Q-Law pod and this special presentation of What's Next. Today, Afshin chats with Nathaniel Erskine-Smith a 2007 Queen's University grad and Law 10 graduate. Nathaniel also has a Master's of Law from Oxford University. Today they talk about life after law school and the importance of public service. Nathaniel is currently a Member of Parliament elected three times since 2008 and has represented Beaches East York for the past eight years. Before his time in Parliament, Nate was an associate at Kramer Simon Dillon LLP and articled at Heir to Bearless LLP. He also hosts his own podcast called Uncommons, where he sits down with individuals who have led remarkable lives, as well as experts and insiders, to get to the heart of current issues. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of What's Next with Afshid. Here on this podcast and radio show, we interview Queen's Law graduates and hear about what their life was like during law school and now after. And joining us today, we are so lucky to have Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. Thank you so much for joining us, Nate. How are you doing? Things are good. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, so we were just before starting, we were talking about how we're in different time zones right now. So it's 11 a.m. for you and 4 p.m. for me because I'm doing my exchange in Barcelona. So it's just a very different vibe. But do you have anything fun that you have planned for this upcoming long weekend? Anything you're doing with family, friends? I am working this weekend because I am campaigning for the Ontario Liberal leadership. So I've been in politics federally for the last eight years elected, but now actively working to get to provincial politics and and help to lead the province of Ontario. But I did have the opportunity over the last few days to have some time with family. So we spent a couple nights camping at the Pinery uh, near Grand Bend. And then we were a couple nights on my wife's family farm. It's been in the family since 1834. My father is still on the farm in Kamlaki, which is outside of Petrolia. Oh, that sounds absolutely beautiful. And also peak season. I feel like the mosquitoes are not as... I guess annoying this time of year. So no, no, the pine, the pinery is great. The, I I grew up camping, uh, many different places, but including Sandbanks here in Ontario. And Sandbanks, have you ever been there? It's it's got dunes. It's beautiful beaches. Well, the pinery is a very similar feel. It's got great dunes, great beaches, and it also happens to be thirty five minutes away from my wife's family. So it's kind of the perfect combination of nostalgia for me, great camping, but also close to family. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I I hope to go to Sandbanks one day. I just always forget to register online. And it's just one of those provincial parks where you have to do it prior to and I always forget. So at one point, it'll be off the bucket list. Oh, yeah. It's it's, uh, it's not as bad as Taylor Swift tickets, but getting a camping site <laughs> at the at the Pinery or at Sandbanks, it's, it's hard to do. <laughs> I So I usually start off the show with this first question, but our first official question 
is for every interviewee who joins us. And we also have a last question that's the same for every interviewee. So the first one that we always ask people when they come on our show is, what did you do yesterday? So that would be your Thursday. Just walk us through kind of a day in your life at work, maybe your life outside of work too, whatever you want to share with us. Yeah, so it was not a typical day. A typical day is going through my inbox to make sure that there are no fires to put out. It's making sure that I'm getting back to constituents and and making sure that my team is engaged and, and resolving their challenges. A typical day in the summer is a little bit different as a parliamentarian because the house isn't sitting. And oftentimes there isn't really a typical day, but if the house was sitting, there'd be more parliamentary focused work to do, committees and all of that. Uh, yesterday was a little bit different as well because I am campaigning as opposed to just pure parliamentary work. So I'm also, you know, not only serving as the member of parliament in Beaches East York, but I'm also actively running for the Ontario Liberal leadership. And so much of this is about phone calls and reaching out to people to engage them to sign up, to engage them in politics and and helping to rebuild our politics here in Ontario. And yesterday was also a little bit different because we were on the family farm. And so I was playing kickball, losing kickball to my seven-year-old and making sure that I was spending you know more time with family given work can be so busy and campaigning can be so busy. Having a few days on the farm and camping with family, it was really important to spend some of that time. Yeah, that yeah, that sounds like an absolute handful. I, I can imagine it's a really busy time for you right now. And I, I'm actually really excited to also hear about how you got into politics and the position you're at now, too, because there are a lot of people who go to law school with aspirations to become a politician or go into politics. And it's something that I myself want to do, too. So I would love, love, love to kind of hear what your path was like. But maybe in order to do that, we can go a little bit further back to your time before even going to law school, just kind of getting to know who you were before you applied and why you applied to law school. Yeah, I mean, I went to school, public school here in the East End of Toronto, where I am. I'm, I, I'm wishing I was in our, um, Barcelona. I, <laughs> I uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't, I don't think I ever had it in my mind that I was, you know, destined to go to law school or destined to be in politics by any means. But I studied politics at Queens initially for my undergraduate after graduating here in, in the East End, and I, I actually ran, I ran for city council when I was near the end of my undergraduate degree to kind of get experience outside of the classroom, and I oh, lost what? miserably. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I lost very badly. I, I, I think I got 200. I, I only raised, I only spent 300 bucks, but I got 300 votes, 297 votes actually. And, uh, you know, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the efficiency was there, but I, I probably should have spent a bit more money and, and spent a bit more time knocking doors. I was endorsed by the Queens Journal. I was endorsed by the, the Kingston wig, but I didn't knock on nearly enough doors and I didn't have relationships in Kingston in a way that I really needed to. And, and politics at its best and if done successfully is all about building relationships. So anyway, I had that experience. That was, you know, an experience that I, I at the time I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had a couple of experiences where I did a, I did a mooting competition, uh, the Osgood cup uh, in undergrad, and I was successful in winning that. And that really, you know, made law more real for me and that it was, I had a lot of fun and was successful at it. And I thought that was, you know, something that I might want to pursue. And then I had an interesting and also mostly failed experience where I started a food truck 
And I, I got a, I, I got a, I, I, it's a, it's a weird thing, but I, I got a grant from one arm of government, uh, 3000 bucks was called the summer company program. I don't know if it still exists or, or if it's still called that, but it's 3000 bucks, 1500 at the start of the summer, 1500 at the end of the summer. And my idea was to just sell grilled panini sandwiches out of a hot dog cart, uh, not complicated. <laughs> um, and then the health inspector, the other arm of government wouldn't approve it because they said that. Uh, if you're selling food out of a hot dog cart, it had to be in a tube shaped, it had to be meat in a tube shape. It had to be a hot dog. Um, and I was like, well, but, and I, you know, I, I wrote a memo, uh, my first memo, I wrote a memo to the health inspector explaining why a hot dog is a sandwich uh, or sandwich is a hot dog, just in a different shape. Um, and <laughs> he, 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 this he, is he, an actual he, conversation you had. What did you, yeah. well, how did you, do you remember how you argued this? That was, <laughs> I just, uh, well, I just, that's, at the time, I, I wrote like a one page memo and I, probably I was too, I will say probably I was too, I don't know if I was snarky, but I, I clearly bothered the health inspector because it was a hard no. And then I, I had clearly pushed some buttons because I then got a camper trailer for free that was really run down and worked with friends to fix it up. And each time that something was approved then you know there would be another issue that we had to go through and then that would get approved and then and resolved and then there'd be another issue and it, and it, finally the last straw was i was like you know uh, we're fighting over whether a dipstick is a is a measuring is a gauge and i was like of course it's a gauge and uh, anyway the health inspector uh said well you know they hung up on me to my recollection anyway i called back and i was like you know if what do I do when a health inspector is like giving me all these challenges? Uh, I, I want to make a complaint. And then I get a call back the next day saying, because you've complained, uh, all the issues that were previously resolved and approved are now outstanding again. I was like, I don't think that's allowed. So I actually contacted Queens Legal Aid. Oh, and, uh, shout and out, once, shout <laughs> Yeah. And, and once Queens Legal Aid was involved, everything got approved within a week. And so I thought it was a good idea to go to law school. <laughs> no way. Okay. So, okay. You went to QLA and then at this time you're a Queens student. So that's why you qualified it. Oh, that is yeah, so yeah. interesting. I didn't even realize QLA took on things like this, but that's, that's you know, so I don't know. I, my recollection <laughs> is they sent, a, they sent a, you know, I could be misremembering this and, and, you know, but I, my recollection is they sent a letter, everything got approved and it was mid August at that point. So you know, I didn't sell a lot of sandwiches that summer, all things considered, but we, we sold a few. But, I, but yeah, so I uh, it was a few different experiences because, it, you know, the lesson really was uh, law school can take you many different places. You can do business with it. You can you can you have there's like a there's an interesting power that comes with it where people take you seriously because you can you can use the system effectively to you know stand up for rights and, and to resolve matters and so you know it was the mooting competition it was the you know I, I wouldn't say it was losing the political race that really was a strong motivation at the time because I didn't see myself running again at when I was heading to law school but uh mm -hmm. but the experience with business and just seeing the power of you know someone who was writing as a lawyer or would be lawyer it, it made a bit it made a big impact yeah, and I really like you bringing up that point because as someone who's very young into the profession and the world and coming from a background where I'm not necessarily exposed to a lot of lawyers or people with law degrees or legal backgrounds, I think maneuvering this space is also humbling in the sense that when I go back to my neighborhood where I grew up, which is 
a now gentrified neighborhood in Toronto or when I go back and talk to my friends I realize that there's a certain kind of image that a lawyer holds and I'm not too sure like I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about that but even applying for sublets you just get a little bit more ease in the process because law is seen as a more prestigious position or there's just so much regard that's given to it and respect for it and I'm I'm still grappling with what that means for me because it's not necessarily something I've been used to not that I'm saying I'm not a respected individual but I'm just not used to being regarded in a way where people look at me and they're like oh you know what I I can trust you or you have authority and even that in itself is a responsibility that I'm trying to figure out how to hold on and move through the world with I don't know if that was kind of like a shift for you too to move into this sphere and and have that that regard and knowing that you are now accountable to the people. Yeah, there's a certain, uh, you're right when you say there's a certain uh, sense of respect or authority that, that people do give to those who have, you know, gone through law school, been called to the bar in practice. Uh, I will not to take it in an entirely different direction. I was the first person in my family to go to law school. And so I had a you know, similar kind of experience in, in some ways, although my uncle, he's passed now, but he uh, he was in Windsor. He ran a Dominion store in Windsor, and he was quite conservative, actually. But he, he uh, when I went from law to politics, he was like, "Oh, is that a step at a step up, step down? Is that a lateral move?" And and, and there is a there there is law is a funny thing because there are those who take their obligations very seriously, and it's not not so different from politics, right? Like there are those in the system who you know if you act the way you want the place to be, you can take it very seriously, and make a huge difference. Uh, with with the tools that you've got. On the flip side, some people don't take it as seriously, and and you know then the entire profession is is looked upon in a different way, in a more negative way. And so I think that's you know it's incumbent on all of us, whether in politics or those of us in law. You know you do have to take those obligations seriously and and take your pro- professional sort of obligations seriously, including including to the public interest. Hmm. Yeah. That no. It's it's very true. It's very true. I. I, I think it's still something, it's something good to think about too when we enter the legal space or political space or what have you, because at the end of the day, I think, what's the first thing they tell us when we enter law school? Oh, your reputation is everything. And it's really true. It's, it's, it's true. Yeah. Nice. And it's more so, I find it to be, it's the impression you make on people and how you leave them feeling. That I think is so lasting and this world is quite small and again it's it's something that you don't realize until you enter into these shoes where you're like oh now this is this is how I'm viewed and this is my life now and it's it's whatever you choose to do with it yeah there's no question I I I only won my nomination I would say I mean I had a whole community of people behind me and you talk about reputation it was people in beaches East York who I'd gone to high school with or public school with or played baseball with or my parents had taught there was a a huge community that weren't necessarily considered considering themselves big L liberals but they were behind me based on personal relationships and that sense of trust and similarly you know, my first donors in that nomination were my law school classmates. And oh. if it weren't for Queens Law classmates, I would not have been successful in that nomination because I wouldn't have been able to have the resources to to run a proper campaign. Um, and, you know, and after even being successful, it was, you know, a, a law firm that I worked at initially, Erden Burles, that would host fundraisers for me every year, uh, or at least host us for for fundraisers the last Thursday of every April up until the pandemic pretty near. And so, yeah, I think, I think there, and that's after I, you know, I, I haven't worked at it. I I never even worked at Aaron Brillis as a lawyer. 
I worked there as a summer student and an clean student, but there's just relationships that I'd built there that, that, you know, you stay connected and, and there's trust. And I think that's exactly right. You, you are, you know, uh, you depend upon that reputation as you go through life in many different ways and, and you've got to, you've got to earn it. Well, this is beautiful because it actually smoothly brings us into your time at Queen's Law because you clearly made a lot of significant connections if you have Queen's Law mates who were supporting you through your campaign. And so why don't we talk about that fellow first generation law person to another fellow first generation law person. Tell me about your time at Queen's Law. Well, tell us, I guess, about your time at Queen's Law. Did you end up joining the Queen's Law Clinic Legal Aid because they helped you? Did you do anything like moots or do you have courses which stood out? Anything you want that you want to share about your Queen's Law experience? Yeah, honestly, I found like if there's anything that stands out about Queen's Law for me, it was sort of the friendships and classmates that I that I still to this day, you know, are, are, are close to me. And, you know, and I, I, I still, you know, I, I talk about, you know, early donors and supporters, but there's still people who are in many ways closest to my politics and most supportive. Uh, you know, there's a classmate that I stayed with up in Dry when I, she's a crown prosecutor now in Dryden, Ontario. And she hosted us when we were up campaigning in Northern Ontario. So, you know, it, it, there are touch, touch points all through that, relationships that still mattered to a great degree to me so i that's the thing that stands out the most when i when i think back but there are certain experiences there's no question i did the queen's business law clinic i think i was motivated having gone to the queen's legal aid clinic um and and the business law clinic was relatively new and that's sort of the thing that i would have otherwise relied upon in the situation i was in so i think i was motivated in part by that I, I didn't do any moots when I was there other than within classes. And the, and the one thing that really stood out, he's now a federal court of appeal judge, but Dave Stratus was a professor of mine in constitutional law there. And that really stood out because he did host mooting competitions sort of, or mock trials within, within that constitutional law class. And uh, there was a justice Rothstein that presided over ours and it was pretty you know it was pretty incredible in the same way that when i did the mooting competition at osgood and undergrad it was justice Corey that presided over the final and i, I don't know it's just an, kind of unreal as a law student to you know to be arguing in front of people who are otherwise you know have decades of serious experience as lawyers and judges well wow, that's absolutely incredible and I'm pretty sure Stratus still instructs one of the classes, yeah, writing, legal writing, a little one credit course if people still want to take it and, and learn from him. And he gives a little welcome speech during orientation for 1Ls, incoming 1Ls, which still sticks with me because he was just, it was just very motivational, like you're worth it, you're here, everyone here belongs here. So it was a, it was a great welcome speech on combating imposter syndrome so it, it's really nice to hear that he just has this beautiful legacy of, of inspiring and bringing forth just richness and education yeah, yeah he's been a good mentor in many ways uh he even joined me on my podcast uh to talk oh. about to talk <laughs> yeah to, to, to talk about sort of you know in a very nonpartisan way it's a, you know i i host it as a parliamentarian where i have conservatives on i have liberals on i have ndp and green members on i have experts on um and uh and he joined me to talk about uh interpret you know judicial the role the role of judges as against the role of parliamentarians and and what he thinks the proper role is 
Oh, wow. All right. Well, it's nice to know that Queen's Law folks love their, they, we just love our podcast. We love <laughs> getting out there and doing these. We're just, we're just growing and growing. So that's something that we're going to have to check out. We're going to have to listen to that episode. Maybe we can uh, shoot out a link or something. That's, that's pretty cool. And uh, I wanted to uh, also, I also didn't do a moot. And I, I don't believe I will be doing a mood. And it's something that always made me nervous as a student because I'm wondering, oh, you know, should I have done one in order to, you know, do this or that? And it, it just kind of like we get caught up in a lot of these. It's like things of, oh, I'm, the whole mass is moving towards this direction. Should I also be following them or not? And you mentioned that you s worked with Arden and Burles, but then you summered, articled, and left so you were definitely not moving with the masses so why don't we go to that stage of real life <laughs> you know what was going through your mind you completely deviated and got the license and left I, I i don't know unless you didn't get called to the bar and you decided to pull oh no i did I, I no i did so i uh how did that all go i well actually <laughs> i got a job uh i don't know the the luck of never doing OCIs, but I <laughs> I, I didn't I, I didn't do OCIs because I had gotten a gig out of first year with Erden Burles, and then I stuck around for second year, and then I stuck around for my articles. The one thing I, I probably have like if I were to think back, you know, a, a moot would have been fun to do, but you know, there I, I think I got my fix as far as doing it within the class, uh, the advanced constitutional law class. That that was that was all I really needed. And then the, the only other thing, thinking back, you know, I think clerking would have been an interesting experience because there's a certain academic rigor to that as well. But I, I, had, a, I had an amazing time summering and articling Edward and Burles. Uh, but there was another mentor of mine there. And actually, Dave Stratus did his BCL, his Master of Laws at Oxford, and he spoke very highly of it. And Angela Swan, uh, who is a really serious research and contracts lawyer. She, she writes the textbooks that um, with uh, with Nick Bala at Queens uh, um, on contracts that I studied when I was there. I assume I, I maybe they're still used. I don't know. But uh, Angela Song is another mentor of mine at Burles, and she'd done the VCL, the Master of Laws at Oxford. And, and so I ended up, you know, sort of gracefully picking out after articles. I didn't put my name back in for hire back. And I went and did a master of laws. I call it the anti MBA because I, I didn't get a job that I otherwise, you know, wouldn't have got afterwards. But I studied political philosophy, constitutional theory. I did a mass, you know, I did a thesis on Section Seven of the Canadian Charter, and one of my classes was just reading all the old Section Seven cases, which was pretty interesting. And uh, and then I came back and I practiced for three years at a small boutique commercial litigation firm downtown Toronto. Um, where it was three associates, three lawyers, Kramer, Saman, Dillon, uh, great, you know, they were so good. They were so good to me. Great lawyers, uh, you know, just great experience all around. And I really got to be on my feet a ton and got a ton of experience that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten if I was, if I, if I stayed at a big firm. Wow. Yeah. That's the thing that I've been thinking about. So I, I had the opportunity to work at an amazing firm this summer and something that I was grappling with was what it's like to be at work versus being a student and one of the biggest changes I felt was that there's just this intellectual stimulation that happens as a student in school that's completely different from what you experience in the practical world at a job and I think regardless of how I personally maneuver through the job world I do want to continue to think in an academic way about the law. There's just something so interesting there. And 
I, I, I mean, I think it's amazing that you did your master's and you got to explore that. It, it just, I feel like the, the nerd in me is just so excited. Like, oh my God, <laughs> section seven, that's so cool. <laughs> the, uh, what was really interesting about that in the end was I'd uh, focused on the sort of history of section seven and the evolution of section seven and specifically applied it to assisted dying prostitution and drug policy and the argument that i made at the time is that if you took the evolution of section seven seriously all of these older cases the prostitution reference rodriguez around assisted dying and memo levine on uh cannabis that they would all actually be changed and they would be reversed because the the jurisprudence was itself changing and had changed significantly and when i got to parliament uh, one of the first uh, issues we had to deal with was actually assisted dying. And it was quite interesting to then bring to bear that sort of academic experience and and the work I'd done in the, in the in reviewing case law and, and having a better sense of a read of the law to then apply it to the parliament, you know, parliament's response to the, the Supreme Court's decision in Carter. So, so yeah, there is a, there, that sort of academic rigor is definitely, it's definitely served me well in my parliamentary career. I, I would say in my experience in law, there are many lawyers who, in fact, I, I think there, you know, overwhelmingly, there's a large number of lawyers who are able to practice, but also publish, also, you know, uh, present at conferences, teach part time. There are many lawyers who are able to fulfill, you know, the the practitioner part of of what they want to do, but also maintain an academic footprint at the same time. Yeah, that's very true. I, I also wanted to talk about, because now we're getting to the point of your life where you stepped into politics, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you managed to get into this space and this profession, given that also Queen's Law particularly has such a root in access to justice. We have, I don't know if we had it when you were at Queen's Law, but the prison law clinic, I'm sure it was around then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 A friend of mine, James. a friend of mine, James did it. Yeah. Oh, no way. Okay. So cool. Yeah. So, so cool. Yeah. So we have the prison law clinic among the other clinics and they're all, they're all really aiming for access to justice and QLA helped you. And then you wanted to give back to the community and you joined the clinics. And so there's just like this, this importance of public service that's really emphasized through a lot of the opportunities present at Queen's Law. So I'm sure that a lot of people want to continue to learn how to make that significant impact on the world. And I know that I myself want to pursue this route at some point in my life. So if you could give advice to people sitting in our shoes, we're, we're sitting in law school, we're, we're young, we're budding, we're excited. What would you tell us to do? What advice would you give us if we want to walk in your footsteps? Ah, with a specific reference to getting involved in politics. So, the, yeah, so I would say first off, I'm, I'm glad that you have an interest. I, I wish more people did have that interest because politics, obviously there are faults to politics, but, but politics is the most important way to make a difference in the lives of those around us. There's no question about it. Every single thing that we care about in our lives that impact our lives, they all track back to politics in one way or another. And there's a professor, Professor Corbett. Uh, um, he's not at Queens anymore. I, I don't know. I don't know where he's at or or, or what his situation is. Um, he he may have passed. I'm not sure. But uh, he would give a, a lecture that everything tracks back to the law. That law touches everything in our lives. But law actually is created by politicians. And mm -hmm. you know everything. Everything I think tracks back to politics in part because if you want to make sure we lift people out of poverty. 
that's dollars and cents that are provided by politics. If you want to improve public transit, that's dollars and cents that come from politics. If you want to address an injustice in the law, that's, you know, that can be resolved via charter litigation or via litigation. But if you really want to resolve it in a, in a, in a, in a long-term way, you, you change minds through politics and then you change laws through politics. So I'm glad you are interested. Now, in terms of how you go about getting involved, Honestly, half the answer, at least, is showing up, which is, you know, in our system, there's no there's no perfection by any means. And we live in a partisan system. And so, you know, there's no party that perfectly represents all of our views. But you've got to find the party, at least if you're engaged in provincial or federal politics, you got to find the party that best represents your views. And then you, your job is to join that party and to push and pull that party to better represent your views and to be the best version of itself. And so part of the answer is showing up, joining a riding association, joining, you know, whatever club might be available. I didn't come to that until later. I joined my riding association locally when I got back from the UK in 2012, I think it was. And then I was a member for a little over a year before I ran in the nomination. And that involvement, so being a lawyer helps, being involved in your community, really helps it helps to have been part of that association in some ways you know the brass tacks of it though is if there's an open nomination you know i was not at the time i was 29 when i was running the nomination i won when i was 30 it was a 13 month far too long nomination but the way you win those nominations if there are open nominations you win basically by engaging a large number of people to become members of the party in some cases for the first time to vote for you and so at that point it's purely about how do you run a successful campaign that is going to reach people and encourage them to become a member it's usually now it's usually free it's certainly free at the provincial level right now how do you encourage people to become a member and motivated to sign up for you and there are really only two it comes down to two things. I mean, there's a general population that you can campaign to and, and you'll win some of them, but you've really got to start from a base of people who believe in you. And so you've got to think about where am I going to run and what's the community that is going to be around me? And in my case, I ran in my home riding. I had a community around me that I grew up alongside uh, that, as I say, as I said earlier, that trusted in me. And I was able to, on top of that, have a whole other community, the Queen's Law community, my classmates from undergrad, that that helped me out in different ways, helped me out on the campaign, whether it was fundraising, whether it was, you know, helping to run the campaign, um, in the case of a, a good friend of mine from undergrad, also at Queen's. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, like there's, you got to show up, you got to be involved, but you really have to think very clearly about where am I going to serve and what community am I going to really depend upon to sign up and, and vote for me? Wow. That's, I, that's, that's really touching. Just, I've already sold, but now I'm sold again. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> me up. That was such a moving and compelling speech. <laughs> I'm like, all right, where's the clipboard? Let me put my name down. Yeah, that's a, that is quite beautiful. And it's, it's, and it kind of comes back full circle to what we were talking about. Reputation, your impact on people, how you imprint and leave people feeling and, and their investment in you in return. So I think this is, this is really, really beautiful. Might your friend be one of them be Joe Berger, our first interviewee? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey, Joey yeah, jo Joey definitely. He couldn't vote for me in the nomination because he didn't live in Beaches, East York. But he's he oh. certainly supported my yeah. He certainly supported my politics. Um, and yeah, we were friends back to high school. 
Um, and we, we ended up living together in undergrad at Queens and then took different paths from there. But he all, he all, we ultimately, you know, led a similar path insofar as he ended up going to Queens Law as well, just a, a little bit, a little bit afterwards. Oh, that's such a special friendship. I I actually didn't even know when we had lined up the interviews that you'd be back to back with Joe's interview. So then when I was working with him this past summer at Pallier Roland, I, I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, I think I think I'm interviewing your friend. And he was just over the moon. He's like, you're going to talking today. He is so cool. <laughs> so he's a, he's a very, very big fan of you. Oh, yeah. Joe, Joey's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was, it's, I mean, that's honestly the, I said, I said earlier, but politics at its best is about relationships. And oh, so just cute. as, just as there are some issues that will drive people to join. And, 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 you know, I've been vocal, for example, for strong climate action. And in the course of this provincial leadership, we have a really strong climate action plan. Catherine McKenna has endorsed us for that reason. And, and there's a certain level of, you know, we want to deliver a great amount of ambition on housing, on climate, and reforming our healthcare system and all of those things. And there are certain people who are motivated by specific issues who will join us because they want to see some substance use treat as a health issue, or they want to see serious ambition on climate. And, and there are certain issues that motivate people. There's no question about it. And that's the nature of politics. You have to build a coalition of people that are motivated by different ideas. And, and you need to deliver a level of seriousness and ambition in those ideas. But so much of this is also about relationships and integrity and trust that you are not going to. And I already said this about parties, but my constituents are not going to agree with every single bit of my advocacy. They're not going to agree with every single Every single time that I open my mouth in Parliament, they're not going to agree with it. But they ought to, if they're supporting me, they ought to trust that I'm I'm always focused on doing the right thing, that I'm always going to do my due diligence and, and bring serious thought to the issue, and that I'm going to really put the public interest first and and carry myself with integrity. And that trust. You don't have to agree with someone all of the time. You do have to trust in them. And I think that is partly, you know, when I say politics is based on relationships, it's about building that trust and maintaining that trust. And yeah, it's been amazing. Like Joey is a, at this point, like a pretty near lifelong friend and we, you know, still maintain that friendship, but there's a trust there. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you. Thank you, honestly, for, for sharing everything that you have. This was like such a it's such a heart touching conversation and before I ask my last question because I want to be mindful of the time and I also know that you're in the middle of a very very busy time in your life so I was wondering if you wanted to share any last thoughts before our last question no I I think only for those who are in law school listening just know there are many different paths right so you know I started on Bay Street I ended up in politics and mm -hmm. I think you know, I I can't imagine going back to law where I'm only doing one kind of law, that you're always going to be able to use your law degree for many interesting things, whether it's in business, whether it's in politics, whether it's, you know, practicing as a legal aid lawyer, whether it's practicing as a commercial litigation lawyer, as I was once upon a time on Bay Street. There are many different ways you can use your law degree in really interesting ways. And I think that's the best part of, of going to law school. It's not only the relationships you build in the classmates, but you you have... Uh, tool now that you can use in so many different ways um, and people should just you know be open to that idea that there are lots of different ways of, of leading very fulfilling lives as lawyers 
Oh, and that brings us to our tagline for this show. What's next with Zaf Sheen? There's not only one way to be a lawyer. So that's actually. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I, I, I've, I've like I've 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 perfectly promoted what you want to say. Exactly. This is this is great. The synergy. The synergy. <laughs> and in this case, you don't have to be a lawyer at all. Maybe there are other ways to make a difference, and and that's. That's beautiful to see that there are these paths available to us. With yeah, I highly recommend politics. I highly recommend it. <laughs> no bias, of course. <laughs> and then, okay, something fun. Let's see if you have a different answer from Joe. I'm just curious because you both are so close. And I wonder if you, well, his favorite place to eat. And the question is, what was your favorite place to eat in Kingston? His favorite place was the Golden Rooster Deli. I don't know if you remember on Princess Street. I, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what's what's yours? I, I I feel like it's something different. I don't know why. It's, oh, it's yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be different. I so uh, my wife. I met my wife at Queens undergrad, and we've been oh. together for um, I think we've been together for nineteen years now. We've been married for twelve. Um, oh. Anyway, so we would eat many different places, and so there were places like Atomica and Woodenheads that I you know we would eat together at. But I my favorite is uh, Saigon Delights on Division Street, and the oh. reason I say this. Uh, and, Pan, you know, Pan, I worked at Panchancho for a time and Panchancho is awesome. Um, but I worked at Saigon Delights for as the assistant manager, I think I was for a num many months, uh, you know, maybe over a year even. And Mengwa there is amazing. And I am I'm very loyal to that place. I I, you know, it's a small place, a lot of takeout. Um, but I I loved working there. And I, the people there were amazing and, you know, very loyal customers. So, if, you know, if people haven't checked that out, they should check it out. Oh, I love that you named Saigon Delights. There's a, we were talking with a few other people about how there's a lot of really amazing and cuisine in Kingston. That's a little surprising too, that they have really great quality East Asian restaurants and a lot of great Cambodian restaurants too. I'm not sure if Saigon is a Cambodian restaurant. I think it might be pseudo Cambodian, Thai, and a few. It's, uh, other... v v Vietnamese. Okay, okay. And do you have like a particular dish that you recommend to leave people with? Something that I'll try when I get back to Canada. <laughs> uh, see, the, the real trick is see, I am vegan. And so very few dishes on the menu are properly vegan, but you can make them that way if you if you swap things around. So the most popular dish to my recollection was number six. But okay. I uh, you know, I would recommend not the you know, the pork was probably the more popular thing. I I would obviously be eating tofu, but, but like <laughs> you know, but there but there are um I can't remember what the uh I think ten was a sweet and sour that I would I would swap in tofu and and swap things around in. But yeah, there there it's a pretty straightforward menu. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend it partly for the food and partly for the people behind it. Also, you know you're a true Kingstonian when you don't even name the item, but you name the number. And that's the number on the menu for corresponding with the item. Because I don't think people outside of Kingston really do that. But for restaurants in Kingston, it's always the number. Like the number one on this, the number three on this. So that's amazing. I, uh, when I worked there, we would have regular customers that would come in and I would know that they wanted, you know, you want the number six? Yep. Okay. Like that's, that's <laughs> that. That that's my and but it was the best job. I worked. I, I think I, I might be misremembering this too. It was so long ago, but I'm pretty sure I worked four days a week. It was ten hour days. I would open and I would close. I would eat oh, lunch God. and dinner there, 
and I lived on on uh, Vine Street or uh, on Ann Street, just uh, just north of there. And so it was like a five less than a five minute walk to get. It was like I don't know four or five block walk to get home. And so yeah, like it, that was that was a, a high quality of life. <laughs> oh my goodness it's just oh, what a time the chapter the kingston chapter <laughs> well i don't want to keep you too too long but i want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on our show and it was just really really lovely to talk with you and to hear about the other opportunities that are available to us i think it's also inspiring for us and in a lot of ways, comforting to know that there are other people out there with the same degrees as us and who are doing such impactful work in the world. So thank you. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Nate, and taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. And if people are interested in asking questions about politics or, you know, might be interested themselves in getting into politics, you know, I hope this has been helpful, but people can always reach out to me also nate at meetnate.ca and they can send me an email as a queen's law student and i will i will happily help anyone oh thanks nate that's very generous well thank you so much and to everyone listening you can listen to more episodes of q law pod on our website and you can stay tuned for more exciting episodes that are on the way thank you so much and we will be airing all our episodes live on air at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, which is situated on Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you soon. Contracts, workplace rights, trademarks, even your digital identity online. Law is an everyday part of life, and having knowledge about these topics can help you become a more informed citizen. That's why Queen's is offering the Certificate in Law, an online program designed to provide a foundational understanding of Canadian law through a series of fascinating courses. Discover if law is right for you. To find out more, visit takelaw.ca. Immigration is at the heart of Canadian culture and industry. That's why Queen's University is proud to offer the Graduate Diploma in Immigration and Citizenship Law, an immersive, full-time, year-long online program that is training the next generation of immigration professionals. Learn from experts in an engaging online learning environment. Build critical skills and real-world competencies that will make you practice-ready for an exciting career. Apply now. Visit immigrationdiploma.ca for more information.